So I would like you to choose whoever you think is best for this position. We are facing the greatest assault globally I've ever seen on Liberty, and it is hitting Wyoming. I've heard too many people become complacent and say, this is Wyoming, it would never happen here. I fled the People's Republic of Illinois. I fled Colorado. I'm not leaving Wyoming. So I am here to do what I can to make sure that people are awake to what is happening and how the kids are being used in public schools to be indoctrinated to do things like march in lockstep, wear their masks, and parents are told to sit down and shut up. It is not acceptable. Liberty is not selfish. Liberty is not selfish. Liberty is not chaotic. Liberty is only dangerous to those who threaten it. I'd like to go back to one of the very first things that you mentioned that, you know, you're not from here and that the folks that are, that you're running against, well, they've been here for 27 generations or whatever it is. I completely reject that argument. Like I can give you a long list of legislators that have a long family history of being in Wyoming. And those are the very people that allowed the policies to exist that are destroying our state. You know, so what if somebody says, well, I'm a sixth generation Wyomingite. Well, that doesn't tell me anything about you. That tells me about your family. Now, presumably, if your parents have been, you know, if your family's been here for six generations, you will have been raised with those with those same values. But that's not a given. And just to say, you should vote for me because I've been here for six generations or whatever, that doesn't tell us anything about your values, about your policy, um, you know, your, your policy positions or anything for that matter. It's just, I mean, it's almost a red herring to say that, well, because you haven't lived here, you know, you we shouldn't vote for you. I want to, before you respond, I want to throw something else out to you because I'm a multi-generational Wyoming native, and I take a great amount of pride in that. But I was gone from Wyoming while I was serving in the military for a period of about 10 years. And during that time, I lived in Europe. I lived in Colorado Springs a couple times. I spent some time down in Columbia, South Carolina. And I learned that other places are different. There are good things. There are bad things. But I learned how it's done in other places. And one of the disadvantages of being raised here multi-generations and never having been anywhere else is you don't know what you don't know. And there are a lot of things that are done in other ways out there that are both good and bad. And you kind of alluded to, you know their tactics. You know where they're coming from. And a lot of a lot of the folks that have only been here don't see it coming. They don't see what's happening. And you have that advantage. And the other one is there are things that you have learned in other places that they don't know here that might just work better. Absolutely. And like David was saying, where you're born is not necessarily a qualification. And in, in the upcoming battle that's already started that people don't realize it's an advantage not to be from Wyoming because if you, the values may be in, in you, it may be traditional brought up in your family of, of liberty and family and, and faith and, and individualism. 
and those are all the ideas I wish to preserve here. But there's a complacency that comes with it. I don't know how many times I've heard, this is Wyoming. This is a red state. We had the most people vote for Trump. That would never happen here. And I'm trying to grab people by the face and say, it's already happening here. What is the most important for me right now is that people realize that the first places the leftist movement goes are local media and the school boards. And that's why we have like school boards that are completely tone deaf to the parents, uh, enforcing ridiculous mask mandates, firing teachers who refuse to wear masks, even though there's no scientific evidence pulling a t-shirt over your nose makes any difference. We've gone over that before, Garrett. I know about that. Um, this is what I really want to get at, though, about what we see happening in other places. You have to remember, my PhD is in American government. I'm an expert on federalism. And where Wyoming is getting its rear end kicked right now is federal money. And Governor Gordon is currently, uh, he's out there chasing that carrot again with the, the hydrogen hub. But billions of dollars and jobs, what can go, energy and jobs and bears, oh my, what a great idea. Uh, and there are always those strings that come with it. And, and I've tried to explain to people that the Wyoming Education Association is not the friend of your children. It's a puppet of the National Education Association, and that is one horrifically Marxist, woke organization that I have been trained in critical race theory back in the 1990s at um, Roosevelt University, downtown Chicago. And they were teaching us back then that education is not about reading and writing. It's about social transformation through changing ideals. That's what we were told as teachers in the 1990s. I thought this left-wing lunacy was never going to take hold. So I was young and dumb and went in one ear and out the other. But most of the teachers I was indoctrinated with, it failed on me, went on to become teachers. And then we had students in the 1990s, and we call them Antifa today. Because and they, they run around, with, they wear their masks. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at, Tom. Because, you know, you have, like I said, you, I can give you a long list of politicians that have, at the very least, been complacent with all of these left-wing policies and, and the federal money that you brought up. And now we have, our, we have our only university that is pushing these ideas. So not only are, are people that have lived here for generations allowing that stuff to happen, and in some cases, like, you know, making a pathway for it to happen— then you have those same type of individuals at our university pushing those ideas on young people. And we still have people saying, well, you know, this is Wyoming. It can't happen here. Well, <laughs> you know, what's, what happens in the schoolroom is what happens in government later. I mean, I'm not exactly sure who said that, but it's, it, it's absolutely the truth that if you teach kids Marxist, leftist ideology in the classroom, like is happening at the University of Wyoming, it is going to end up in your government later on. And I have to mention this whole idea of you know critical race theory. It's kind of become a buzz phrase for some conservatives without completely understanding what it is. And then we get this gaslighting from the media and the experts, we're not teaching critical race theory in the schools. No, no, you're teaching through it. You're not teaching the children what critical race theory is. You're using it to tell them that the United States is an institutionally racist country, that 
that the United States Constitution was written by white people, so therefore it is white supremacist, and the only way to fix that is get rid of it. That is the heart of critical race theory. People, I don't know how many people don't even realize that critical race theory is an offshoot of critical theory, which is pure Marxism. They just throw race in there, and now they've thrown in, they've thrown in the gender identity with it too. So it's really simple. If you're a capitalist, if you believe in freedom, individuality, individual rights, limited government, you're a white supremacist transphobe. Well, and it's, it's the philosophy of reductionism. You know, you, you reduce everything to its lowest terms, and if you can do that, it's easier to separate people into, you know, gender-specific groups or race, you know, race identity groups. But that's what critical theory is. I mean, it's, it's the tool by which Marxism gets pushed. Yeah, so, uh, Tom, like you, I'm not a native of—I wasn't born here. We moved here in 68, and I've gone and gone out around the world, a bit like you have. And I think you are in a very unique position. Because like me, one of the problems I always had with people in Wyoming is they look internally. They never look really externally. There's this interest— of looking at things basically from Jackson to Rapid City and Billings to Denver. It's a very introspective, not even introspective, internal viewing state as, as you're seeing. You know, that won't happen here in Wyoming. That doesn't happen here in Wyoming. We're okay. That's not coming here. That's what you hear and what you say. But it's not the case, um, as you've pointed out. Uh, and, and to me, you know, you're the ideal candidate for this. And, and, it's, and it becomes interesting to me uh, and maybe other people. Uh, you know, we hear what you know, other candidates are going to do if they win their position on the first day. So I'm going to ask you that question. You get elected as superintendent of the education. What's one of the first things you do? Oh, okay, well, that's easy. Since I, I'm a practically and linear thinking man quite often, um, the first thing I do is talk to the current superintendent about the job because the man appointed Brian Schrader is a good man and he's going to have some experience down there and he can give me the lay of the land and I would trust him to tell me exactly what's happening down there. Um, then the next thing to do after I understand how the job works, and I would not trust necessarily the government bureaucracy down there to tell me what's going on because one of the first things I would look at is where can I slash the government bureaucracy? The Wyoming Department of Education how big is it? How many people are there making six-figure salaries that never see a student? They don't do anything but push around spreadsheets and the latest ideas that come out of the ivory towers. They just take their orders from the United States Department of Education, which is a, another horrifically woke organization right now, particularly with the Biden administration in charge. And don't, don't make this mistake. Trump wins and becomes president again in 2025, that man by himself cannot undo what is un entrenched in the U.S. Department of Education, what's already entrenched in law, and what's already entrenched in the federal funds that come to a state where they coerce a state to teach things against the will of the people. If most people in Wyoming could get a good look at the curriculum that their kids were being taught, they'd be aghast at what was not being taught and what was being pushed on little kids. Wasn't there a bill for accountability that districts would have to show the curriculum and books that they were teaching? And that failed. 
unreal. Where is the executive leadership to push things through such as parents being allowed to know what their kids are being taught, allowing girls to play against girls, and not banning critical race theory, but banning it as a paradigm to instruct children. It's okay for kids to learn what critical race theory is. In fact, they should. So when they go to college, just like other failed ideologies like socialism and fascism, they know what a crock it is and they could identify it. Um, and that's why I'm not good. I'm not big on censorship when it comes out with that type of stuff. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Ken. I, I don't want to dissuade you from where you're going, but I want you to fill in a couple of gaps. You said something in a speech not too long ago about the idea of federal versus national. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, th I think in, in light of you use this term federal several times so far, and you've used the term national, and I think it, it bears repeating what the difference is. What do you mean when you say federal versus national? Okay, the, the, the federal republic, which the United States still is in some places, some people don't realize half America has fallen into police states. They're that bad. Illinois is that bad. California and New York, they are that bad. A federal republic is one where we have a federal government, which is in charge of national defense, the currency, the courts, the borders, um, diplomatic relations with other countries, those types of things. And then the sovereign states are in charge of things such as health care, and education, and it, it, the federal government has a job and maybe providing funds for interstate highways, but the federal government coming in and giving money to the schools, that's, a, that's an attempt to make this from a federal republic into a democratic nation. And some people say that's a good thing. You know, we hear it from the left all the time. That's a threat to our democracy. It's not a democracy. We have a republic in most parts of the country still. And there's a reason for that. And the problem when you say something's when I say something's national, power is centralized in Washington DC and the states lose their sovereignty. And if the United States becomes a democratic nation, life in Wyoming as we know it is over. We'll no longer have Wyoming laws. We will have California laws because the population of Wyoming is smaller than the city of Milwaukee. And if we have a strict democracy, that's it for the way of life here because you will have the gun banners in these major cities. You won't recognize Wyoming anymore. And Wyoming people should realize that more than anybody else. By population, we're the smallest state. If we were not a republic, we wouldn't have any kind of a lifestyle at all. I've got to mention, though, how many people have been infected with this idea of one man, one vote in Wyoming. Oh, it's it's crazy. insane. We have this idea right now that the population centers of Wyoming should dictate what happens to all the other counties. I mean, the, the smartest thing to do would be one senator from every county. Therefore, in the House, in the House, you would have the larger counties like Laramie and Natrona would get significantly more representation because they have significantly more people. But right now, we've got this, we, Wyoming basically has, because of past court decisions, two houses of representatives. And, and, and the, you lose your way of life in the rural districts when you start having Cheyenne dictate to places like Lusk how they have to run their school systems. I've spoken to people around different parts of the state, particularly in the more rural areas, and they are really concerned about the ability to homeschool their own children. 
and it's not just the the, the, the uh, wh- whether or not homeschooling gets frowned upon. There have been movements to, to you know, to talk about you know, uh, a, a Trojan horse. The idea of allowing state funds for homeschooling, and then attaching to it accountability and transparency. In other words, report to the state what you're teaching your kids in your home. These are all sorts of horrific ideas going around the state right now. Public schools are important, but private schools are important. Charter schools are important. Respect for homeschooling is important. Sweden has tried the idea of the money following the kid. If we're going to publicly fund education for all kids, it doesn't mean all money has to go to public schools. We have SNAP, food stamps. Some people, we, we, we decide everybody should eat in America. That doesn't mean we have a government takeover of all the grocery stores and everybody has to go to a government-owned facility to get government food. We have yeah. vouchers for people who can't afford food. What is so wrong with vouchers for people who can't afford private schools? I, I've heard that, that you talk about a smoke screen. Well, separation of church and state. And it's, you know, we have Catholic and Lutheran hospitals across the country that take Medicare. So I don't want to hear anything about we can't have state money end up. I know there was a Blaine Amendment, but that that pretty much got eviscerated by a court decision. So uh, vouchers would be a great idea. And and to put in some competition against public schools that sometimes have an undue monopoly, there are people who cannot homeschool their kids. There are single parents. There are people who just don't have the ability, the time, and they rely on on the local public school. And what happens if that public school is a mess? Oh, well, their choices are to deal with it or to move. That's unacceptable. So I'm a, so I'm a graduate of Bighorn, which at the time in 79 was 250 people and pretty rural. My son graduated in 2006, where it was now about 400 people, double the population roughly. And I was appalled in the decrease in the quality of teacher and the quality of education in just that amount of time. And I'm, I don't even want to go into a school now and see how much it's degraded in, in about 20 years. So, you know, in 79, I came out, and I, and, and I felt I had a pretty good background, a good solid base background to do well in, in, in a, in a top-flight Division three school, a liberal arts, classic liberal arts education, and go on and get my Ph.D., obtain my Ph.D., and now I don't see how kids are able to do that anymore. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they have the basic understanding of what education really is. So and, uh, hold on, if I could, just for a second. You know, so I live in, Garrett and I live in Johnson County. And I heard something really cool about Johnson County schools. Uh, my mom happens to work in the school system there. And she told me that our new superintendent is very much focused um, not exclusively, but has a big focus on vocational arts. And I think that's fantastic because he's, he's at least moving away from the idea that everybody has to go to college and that if you don't go to college, that you're not going to have a good career. And, you know, the, the four of us know that there's probably a plumber down the street that makes way more money than oh, anybody, yeah. anybody in this room does. And he didn't need to go to college. And so with our education system, we have, to, we have to look at it in more of a holistic way and say that, you know, maybe 
maybe this person is not going to be a mathematician, big shocker there, but they can be an auto mechanic. Well, I'm sure Tom can talk to the fact that different people have different styles of learning, and some are self-directed like my son. He can, he's a graphic artist, he can program, yet he prefi- prefer, prefers to drive truck and do dirt work for a company. That I'm going to go back owns. to what David said there about that, sure, because yeah. this is really important. Um, the state's got its scholarship to go to college. High schools have become overly focused on college prep. Like we were just saying, not everyone needs to go to college. And when they start coming out with degrees in, in things such as diversity studies, which really you can't get a job unless you get a job in the government or go to a university and teach diversity studies, we are moving kids away from important trades, welders, plumbers, their apprenticeships. Why can if we're going to be giving state money for education beyond high school, why is it limited only to colleges and universities? We have we will have too many college graduates to stay in Wyoming, and then we have to import people from other states to come in and put in the wires because we don't have electricians. Uh, I am all for, if we're going to be giving state money for higher education, that it is not limited to universities and colleges. What do you think about the HOPE scholarship, Tom? Are you, are you aware of that? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's fantastic that it's, you know, folks that are maybe looking for a second career, you know, they can get money to go back to school and, you know, learn how to be a plumber or an electrician or a welder or, or whatever. I mean, we've got to get away from this, from this, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but this singular viewpoint that children and everybody else has to go to college and that the college professors are the gatekeepers of, of everything in civilization because they're not. I'd like to speak to that a little bit personally. My dad had a Ph.D. and three master's degrees. He was a brilliant man. Never used any of his degrees to earn any kind of a living at all. I mean, he did a little bit of teaching at Tulane and some other things like that, but never lasted very long. When I got out of high school, I had intended to go into engineering. I had a scholarship to Rapid City School of Mines. And I decided I wanted to take a year off. And subsequently, I took another year off, and I just never went back. And my father, to the day he died, was furious with me for wasting my mind. The truth of the matter is, I love to build things. I did what I loved, I make a good living, and I enjoy myself. Not everybody's the same. So yes, vocational arts, uh, all kinds of animal husbandry, there are all kinds of fields out there that we need people who know how to do things. One of the biggest differences I see in the young population today is nobody knows how to do anything practical. Right. And we go back to the schools being hyper-focused on college preparation. Um, And unfortunately, they're not even doing that well sometimes because as a university department chair, I know for a fact that we have remedial math reading and writing classes in college because we have people coming from not necessarily Wyoming. The schools are pretty good compared to places like Chicago. But we do have functionally illiterate people showing up at universities on, on scholarships. That's, but I can't control what happens. Like if I'm state superintendent, can't control what happens outside of, of the state. But 
we can resist the influences that are trying to work their way in through that funding. There are a couple of fallacies. David had bought, brought up some ideas about schools. One of the fallacies is that the schools are underfunded. We hear that one all the time. The schools are broke. We need more taxes. We need that more money. That is lunacy. Absolutely untrue. What is it? $34 million school in Shoshone? Oh, you should see the one in Farson. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the the schools in Wyoming in Wyoming get twice as much money per student as the ones in Utah, and we don't perform as well on, on ACT scores. Uh, and, and then, of course, the left will jump in and say, "Well, those tests aren't don't measure anything." Yes, they do. They're not perfect, but they're a good indicator. Um, you know, you, uh, when you take somebody's bodily temperature, uh, the fever won't necessarily tell you what's wrong with the person, but they'll tell you if something is wrong. So, if your ACT scores are really low. Your SAT scores are really low. There's something going wrong in your state. And it's typically not funding. Just look at Washington, D.C. and Chicago. They spend crazy amounts of money and do horribly on that. So that's the first thing. Um, and one of the things I also bring up is the idea that the teachers' union is a friend of kids and a friend of the teachers. <laughs> and one of the worst things I see out there is you get you get some really – talented young teachers coming into the classroom with a bachelor's degree and no experience and they make what half as much a third as much money as somebody who's got a master's plus 30 hours of education never could teach for squat just working towards retirement should have been out of the building 15 years ago these merit-based pay ideas really have to make some type of inroads because the pay structure we see right now is ridiculous that people get paid on one, how many classes they've taken, and two, how many years they've endured in the public schools. That is not a measure of how well somebody's teaching. These are ideas that need to be looked at, absolutely. And then when we start having money going to places like charter schools and private schools, that starts to bring in that an incentive because they could start Offering maybe a bigger contract to a really good teacher. Well, Tom, you're you're you seem to be suggesting that that a group of individuals that teaches against capitalism be challenged by the free market and competition. How, I mean, oh, absolutely. What sort of crazy town are you living in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the idea of teachers' unions um, dictating pay. Uh, dictating working conditions, dictating um, curriculum, the things that they bring in. Oh, and they, they have the most wonderful sounding buzzwords. Uh, and they, they say the, the nicest things about, you know, giving, uh, preparing children for a future where everybody can be their best selves in a world of diversity and compassion. And it's a bunch of vapid nothingness. It's okay that the kids aren't learning anything as long as long as they get their pay raise. Well, Tom, let, let's go back to that point because both both Dave and I have a friend who used to own, we're friends, that used to own a restaurant in Buffalo. And one of their complaints was over the time span they owned that restaurant, I think 10 years, it was impossible to find any good kid that could fill out a job application and actually sign their name. And they were thrilled when they had children that come in and did that. And commonly they were homeschooled kids or they went to some sort of, you know, parochial school. Um, how it's, it's stunning to me that that can't happen. These kids are getting out of school and being functionally illiterate. So my question to you is, do we in Wyoming have a case where we've had, like you, like you've talked about, 
incidences where schools have been implemented and we have that competition going on between parochial schools, charter schools, and the public school? Or do we have to go outside of the state to see that? And if so, what happens? Well, Wyoming's been behind the curve on charter schools. Um, They have worked well in places such as um, Chicago, Illinois, where the public schools are war zones and the kids graduate with diplomas they literally cannot read. Um, And the parents are always pushing for charter schools and school choice. But Wyoming has, has been very much focused on state funding of public schools, as we've seen that. That is a, that's a formula that the state has to get away from, and that is why the state is currently reaching out to the federal government looking for more money from the Department of Education to help fund the schools. I don't view this position as the superintendent of public schools and teachers' unions. It's a superintendent of public instruction, instruction of the public. The job has to be done the best way possible, using all the tools possible, and it is going to continue to get worse. Schools will get more expensive. Results will continue to drop, and we will always have the, 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 the unions coming back and the administrations coming back that they're dead broke and they need to raise taxes all the time, and it's for the kids unless there is some form of quasi-competition, if we just keep dumping money into public schools because they request it and they say, no, really, next year we'll get it. The the scores will come up and everything will be perfect. No, they won't. I live this in Illinois every year. Every year they're back saying they're dead broke. They need another tax increase. There's always a list of excuses about why the kids aren't performing because they didn't have enough money. It's it's absolute fallacy that we need to be pumping more and more money into the public schools and then trusting the unions that they know what they're doing with it. I'm going to throw a little teaser out there. There is a project that Diane is working on in conjunction with Representative Chip Nyman, uh, Mark Jennings, and some others. And it's kind of exciting news about how state monies could be spent and, in fact, in some places are being spent but I'm going to bite my lip and wait. So if, if that intrigues you, stay tuned because we're, we're coming on that. And it's definitely, Tom, you need to sit down with Diane and talk about what we found out just this last week about a program already starting in Wyoming. So. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that. Yeah. So, so, Tom, you talked about Utah spending half as much money as Wyoming does per child. Is is Utah one of those quote unquote peer states that we would be benchmarked against as far as education goes? Typically, the federal government or the state governments or even state institutions benchmark themselves against like different school districts, and they say, "Oh, they're spending so much money and they're getting these type of scores, and we're spending this type of money, so we're getting these scores, so we need more money." And so, we're similar. Or states. similar states, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it can't, if, if that's the case, if, if Utah is a peer state, can you point to that and say, look, they spend half as much and get better results? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. the whole idea that we need to spend more money to get better results is it's a non-starter. And, and quite often you can go online, you can rank like which states have the best educational systems. Those rankings are a complete joke. They go. They they include things in their index, in their indices such as uh, average teacher pay, 
Like if teachers get paid more, they do a better job. But, you know, you have teachers in New York City and, and Chicago who make six figures and they don't do anything. And the cost of living so high, they're not exactly living well. We should have the Wild Vote people work on that. Yeah, not a bad idea. But, <laughs> but you know, really what you guys are talking about is a false analogy. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're claiming that the amount of money that you spend on a car is directly related to how smooth of a, of a drive you're going to have. I mean, the amount of money that you spend on a car has nothing to do with where you're going or who's driving the car, right? And, and we're just saying that the amount of money that we spend on education should be, you know, exactly equivalent to the to the outcomes of the educate of your education system, and that's just not true. I mean, and Wyoming is a perfect example of that. The older our kids get in school, the worse they do, and the more money that we spend on them. And so just to claim that we're, we're going to spend more money, ergo, our scores will get better, I mean, it's a complete falsity. That's the traditional leftist mentality. If there's a problem, throw more money at it. And, you know, the reason this is so crucial to talk about is because the spending formula for Wyoming schools right now requires a lot of money per student. Wyoming's up in the top 10 how much we spend per student. And often makes us rank really high with like those, those national surveys about how good our schools are. But when we look at the performance of students when they leave school, we're not doing that great based on how much money we're spending. But the reason I need to get that out there, that no, the schools are not broke. There's plenty of money. There are twice as many administrators as we need. Money gets spent all the time on issues. I, I've worked in public schools. I've seen where the money goes. It's just a fact. The schools have enough funding right now. I'm sorry, the districts have enough funding. That doesn't mean the schools have enough funding. I need people to understand that as long as we're chasing this idea that the schools need more and more money, we are going to increasingly look to that federal slash national government to give us money. And when that happens, that's the end of Wyoming. And not only do you have it's bad enough we have external forces telling us that it's white supremacy to be a capitalist, that only white supremacists want to join the NRA or the GOA and have guns. But when we have our own children going to school and our taxpayer money feeding those ideas into their head, that's happening. And I would encourage people around the state to look into what your kids are learning in the schools. And if you don't like it, Get on the school board this year. Tom, you're running for a statewide office. That's a big challenge, especially for somebody who isn't particularly well-known yet. If you're listening to this and you like what you're hearing from Tom, you need to get a hold of us. You need to go to crosscreekmedia.com. You need to drop me an email or go ahead and throw out an email address or some way to contact you. But... What we're looking for is people in other counties and other cities who are interested in what Tom is doing and helping him out and being someone in that area that can help coordinate this campaign across the state. Tom can't be everywhere all the time, but I'm telling you, this is the guy and he needs some help. And if you're liking it, you need to be that person. Thanks, Ken. And I do need assistance for two reasons. One, I'm not the incumbent. The incumbent always has an advantage. It's just the basic of politics. And second, 
there are other people in the race who clearly have stronger monetary and political connections than I have. Being a relative newcomer to the state, I don't have political friends. I don't have monetary connections. I also don't owe anybody anything. I'm definitely the best person for this job for the reasons I'm running, the reasons I want to do the job. I don't care what the title is. I want to make sure that I could be that person, the watchman on the wall, keeping the federal government out and letting Wyoming be Wyoming. And I know the tactics of what we're up against. And I, there was one last point I'd really like to make about this. Sometimes ideas like critical race theory and, and, and the gender identity issues, they come to the fr- forefront. But what we're really missing is the fact is how did they come to the forefront? And, and they came in through the back door, through that federal funding, through the Department of Education, through the teachers unions. That is where we have to stop it. We may be able to successfully fight off critical race theory and, and, and uh, these weird gender ideas of, of boys on the girls team. Um, and of course, I'll get canceled by whomever because I came on and said something so horrific. But that's not the end of it. If we win those two battles, that's just part of a bigger war. Something else will be on the horizon. And it all leads the same way. A national system, a democratic system where Wyoming is pretty much wiped off and then California could stop complaining that we have two senators like they do. When I was growing up here, when, well, Ken, throughout his history in Wyoming, and probably Dave, too, we all knew crusty people, those curmudgeons, those crusty people. They weren't nasty. They weren't mean. They just were crusty. They had something to say, and they said it. That was what they believed, and it was usually rooted in some truth that they knew. We didn't cancel them for it. In fact, what I taught my son was they say things to you because they see something in you. Now, being crusty right now is probably a really good quality. <laughs> well, I, well, I'll, I'll say and, this, it, and it's very Wyoming. I'll say this to the people listening. Um, if you'd like to learn more about me or contact me or help me out, it's kellysuperintendent.com, Kelly, L-Y, not E-Y, kellysuperintendent.com. You'll see pictures of there of me, my wife, my kids. And I would like to preempt of the fact that some people look at me and say, oh, my God, that guy has long hair. I am a Harley biker, not a hippie. (laughs) So Rambo Room Podcast. These people are incredible, marvelous, marvelous podcast. You know, when they said they were starting a podcast, a lot of people, they said it would never get done. They said it couldn't be done. But you know what? They got it done. Just truly terrific. They did it way faster and way better than anyone ever imagined. Nobody anticipated this. They thought it'd take years. Five, six, eight years. They did it in just a couple months. And they have just been marvelous. Really spectacular people over at Ramble Room. (laughs) 